When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, and it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Thank you, Sissa. All right, so we are in Luke chapter 2, as we just read, and we're starting in verse 22. You don't need to look at the slides because I didn't make any, so eh, just get to deal with me instead. Now, let me give you a little, make sure that we kind of know where we are in the timeline. This is a familiar story, but it's always good to recap. So, in our series, we've been going through these different Christmas carols, right? These proclamations, these songs that surround the birth of Christ. The first of them all took place leading up to the birth of Jesus. And now this one, which is the final song in Luke, takes place about 40 days after the birth of Christ. And so each one of these proclamations have been praising God first and foremost and proclaiming the gospel in one shape or form. And that is the case here with Simeon. Jesus has been born. The angels have proclaimed, Emmanuel, God is with us. And now Mary and Joseph are going through and have gone through several of the ceremonial rites that would be done with every firstborn Jewish male baby. And there were, in fact, four of them, which is why we can precisely time when this took place. The first of those two ceremonial um, rites took place in verse 21, which we didn't read. Look down at it. Verse 21 says, And at the end of eight days, when he, Jesus, was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And so Genesis 17 and Leviticus 12 both say that a baby boy is to be circumcised on the eighth day. That's the first of those ceremonial rites. And we know now today with the miracle of science and medicine and knowledge and all these fun things that 
Absent any, you know, vitamin K that you give the kid or any actual uh, shots, the eighth day is the exact perfect time to have a child circumcised. Why? Because there's a natural anesthetic that the body releases on the eighth day so they don't feel any pain. And two, the eighth day is when your body begins to actually start to be able to coagulate and to form uh, the scab to heal. And so previous to that, you can't coagulate. But on the eighth day, no pain, coagulate, boom, God knows what he's doing. Amen? And so the eighth day is when circumcision was to occur. But along with that circumcision, you also have the name that is given. See, with Jewish culture, you wouldn't just name the baby necessarily on the day of birth. There was a specific timing, and that was after circumcision, after recognizing the covenant with God, uh, and the name would be given. Of course, the name that was given was the name that Gabriel told Joseph and Mary, right? Jesus. And Jesus has a very important meaning. Who knows what the name Jesus means? I see you, see several of you mouthing it. It means God saves. Yahweh saves. The Lord saves. And Jesus actually in the Hebrew is Yeshua, right? Yeshua Hamashiach, Jesus the Messiah. The Messiah is a title that's not part of his name. Christ is a title, not his name. Yeshua, which actually is Joshua. We say Jesus to differentiate him, but really his name was Joshua, if you want to be precise with it in the Hebrew, which gives even more foreshadowing to the story of Joshua in the Old Testament, doesn't it? Who led the people into the promised land after years of wandering, right? That Joshua is the same, same sort of connection there. So we have Yeshua, Joshua, God saves, Jesus, given his name, and now, about 33 days later, or on the 40th day after a male bo boy is born, Mary is going to go through the purification rites at the temple, which was the third of the ceremonies that they would observe. For a baby girl, it was 80 days. For a baby boy, it was 40 days. So we know that they are 40 days post-birth. They go to the temple, and in... Uh, Exodus chapter 13, all of these things, by the way, are in the law, in the Old Testament, in the Pentateuch. We are told that the lady should purify herself and bring an offering. And if they are of the poorest class, unable to afford the typical offering, then they were to bring two doves or two pigeons which is exactly what the text tells us happens here. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons in verse 24. And we understand that because Mary is bringing these doves, these pigeons, that she and Joseph are of that lowest class, which some people like to argue or make the, the uh, in inference that because they were given gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, that they were very wealthy people. Well, that's just not true. 
they would never have presented doves as the offering 40 days later. Now, granted, it's most likely that the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh were given after this little trip to the temple. But suffice to say, Mary and Joseph knew little wealth, at least up to this point, right? Because even after they got the gifts, you know, they had the whole uh, flee to Egypt thing, which would have cost a lot of money. So anyway, we don't need to get too far afield. You get the point that Jesus was born of very, very humble beginnings, which as Mark referenced, Philippians chapter 2, right? The God of the world humbled himself to take on the form of a man, a servant, a Jew who was born to die. That is condescension at its highest form, right? God lowering himself. And we see that here, even in this offering to the temple. But there was a fourth rite that was done, and this was the rite of redemption, or the redemption price. And we, as Christians, are very familiar with this term of redemption, the idea of buying back, the idea of purchasing out of slavery. And God said in Numbers chapter 3, verses 40 through 51, that every firstborn belonged to him. And so, as a Jew, if you were going to redeem your son from the Lord, you had to pay the redemption price. And of course, all of this is foreshadowing, right? All of this is pointing forward to the redemption that Christ would pay with his blood. And the redemption price was five shekels, which was basically one month's worth of wages. And so in addition to these doves that were offered, Mary and Joseph would have also gone to the temple and offered the redemption price for their son. And we know that this happened because verse 39, look down there, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So we know that Mary and Joseph, they fulfilled all of these ceremonial rites. Why? Because each one ultimately points to God's faithfulness, God's covenant promises, the fact that he will always do what he says he is going to do. And in fact, the answer to many of those promises was right there in their arms as he was presented to, well, the priests, but before that, to Simeon. And this is who our story is really about today. But I wanted to give you some of that context so we understand what's going on here, where we are in the timeline. Now, Simeon is an old man. He's seen many years. And the text specifically says in verse 25 that he was righteous and devout and that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, I don't know about you, but if there were three things that I would like to be known for by God's grace, it would be those three things, amen? That I was righteous and devout and that I was full of the Spirit. That would be an amazing epitaph. And that was Simeon. 
Now, righteous, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that he was, you know, such a great, amazing guy, always doing the right thing, always keeping the law perfectly. What it means is that he was right with the Lord. He had right standing before our God, that he had faith in the promises of Yahweh, and in particular, in his promise to send Messiah. And Simeon was one of the very first people to see Jesus and recognize him as the fulfillment of that promise. Simeon was righteous. He had faith in God's faithfulness to us. But he was also devout. This is a a fun word in the Greek. It means cautious and attentive. The idea here is that this isn't someone who is so busy, so full of, of activity that they miss sight of the important thing, that they miss sight of God's plan and purpose and movement in their life. They are cautious, they are attentive to the Lord. They are devoted to him, they are devout. And that is something that probably lots and lots and lots of us struggle with in this culture in particular, right? We're constantly moving, constantly going, there's always something to do especially here in the Northeast, always go, 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 go. Being attentive and cautious, being focused on something is a quality that our culture does not lift up, but God does. So by God's grace, this is something that we can all grow in as we push aside those pressures from the world. Amen? But he was also full of the Spirit, or rather the text says the Spirit was upon him. Remember the distinction, right, between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant? New Covenant, the Spirit is in us, fills us, empowers us, leads us, right? In the Old Covenant, the Spirit would come upon someone, and then the Spirit could leave someone. Not the case anymore, because God's dwelling place is now where? In us, right? We are the temple of the Most High God as his adopted sons and daughters. Amen? So the Spirit is upon Simeon. And what does Simeon do when the Spirit is upon or the Spirit is filling someone as we have been studying, as we've been reading? Simeon makes a proclamation. Simeon shares gospel truth. That is what the result of the filling of the Spirit always is, it is the sharing of the gospel. Why? Because the Spirit always testifies to the Son. That's just what he does, John chapter 15. He always testifies to the Son. And so when the Spirit is filling us, that is what we will do. We will testify to the gospel truth of Jesus Christ. Some way, somehow, that's what we do. And that's what Simeon does. And so he utters this very famous Christmas carol. And the name of this carol, every one of them has a name. My, my favorite one is the Magnificat, and someone, uh, it's actually Magnificat, but someone in our congregation told me that if they ever have a cat, that's the name for their cat now, is the Magnificat. I think that's lovely. This one doesn't have a fun name that you can name a cat, unless you really want to just be brutalist with the cat. In Latin, the name is Nunc Dimittis. 
Imagine that for a pet name, huh? It means, now I can depart, or now you are dismissing. And the idea is, my time has come, now I can go. Which, of course, is the first line of this carol. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Nunc dimittis. And in this, Simeon recognizes, well, first of all, what he does is what? He, it says, verse 28, he took up Jesus in his arms and he blessed God. So this is a song of praise, right? This is a song of worship. And by the way, Anytime you proclaim the gospel, anytime you share truth, anytime you boldly are putting forth what the Lord has done and will continue to do in this world, that is worship. That is blessing our God and praising him by proclaiming who he is, most importantly, that he is a God of love and grace and mercy and righteousness and justice and faithfulness and hope and all those things. He is holy, right, set and set apart. But because of all of that, this is what he does. And that's the gospel. What he has done is sent his son, Jesus. He has sent salvation, verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ alone, amen? He is the only way, the only truth, the only life is through Christ alone. No man can come through the Father except through him. There is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved other than Jesus Christ. And Simeon saw that. He proclaimed that. And he recognized that this Messiah would not only be for the Jewish people, but verse 32 would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles as well, which is a pretty big deal. You can praise God for that because I think just about every single one of us in here is a Gentile. So praise the Lord for his grace and mercy to the Gentiles. And Simeon knew that, and very, very few Jews knew that. Why did Simeon know it? because he was righteous and devout and full of the Spirit. By the way, Simeon means, the name of Simeon means hearing. He was a good listener. Who did he listen to? He listened to the Lord. He listened to the Spirit. That's part of what devotion entails. That's part of what righteousness entails, is that we are listening to our God as he speaks, as he leads, as he shows us things like the Messiah is for the Gentiles as well. Praise God. And so he gives this proclamation, and verse 33, Mary and Joseph are, I'm sorry, verse, where is it? Yeah, verse 33, they marveled at what was said to him. It's kind of interesting to me that they marveled, because they already had angels appear to them, I mean, I don't know, maybe they didn't think it was that big of a deal when Gabriel said, yeah, your son's going to be pretty amazing. He's the son of God. And oh, by the way, an entire legion of angels appears to the shepherds in the field and pronounces Emmanuel, God with us, right? The savior of the world, the king of kings. And the shepherds all rush to 
the manger and find Mary and Joseph. This is just like 40 days earlier. And they're like, you wouldn't believe this. What happened? But there they are, marveling at Simeon's word that this child is pretty special. Well, yes, he is. Maybe they were marveling at the fact that he would be special to the Gentiles, too. Maybe that's what they marveled at. We don't know. But whatever the case, they were blown away by this proclamation. But Simeon had more. He said, oh, by the way, Mary, he's going to be the cause of a lot of grief for you, too. Paraphrasing, but that's basically what he says. You're going to experience piercing of your own soul. And that, of course, is just pointing forward to her own grief at watching her son crucified. And so Mary knew, she understood, at least to some extent. But he says at the end of verse 35, why is all this happening? So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And isn't that what the gospel does? Isn't that what Christ always does? He shows us what's in our hearts. If you share the gospel with something with someone, one of two things will happen, always. There's only two options. Either their heart is going to be softened in humility, and they're going to draw closer to the Lord in faith, or their heart is going to be hardened in pride and they are going to draw away. There is no other option. Either humility or pride. Drawing closer to the Lord or drawing farther away. Now, some of us might say, well, what if I'm just kind of indifferent to it? It's like, ho-hum, my phone goes off, no big deal. That's the Lord calling, John. You better answer. (laughs) Indifference, church, just so we're very, very clear, is pride. There is no such thing as humble indifference. There is humble submission, worship, service, humble excitement. There is no humble indifference. There is prideful indifference. And indifference is typically the way that that pride knows the truth, but doesn't really want to deal with it yet. So I just decide to be indifferent about it. I don't actually act on it. I don't actually move. I just let my life continue to go on. Oh, yeah, 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 I know that's important, but I'm indifferent. Church, don't be indifferent. Because that's pride. That's separation from God. That is not why Jesus came. And so if you are hearing this and you think that you might be in the indifferent category, which is the pride category, which is the separation category, praise God right now that he is showing you your heart. Because that's what our God does. He reveals hearts so that we can respond properly to him. Now, there's a ton of depth to this text, and I am not going to go too much deeper in the exposition, but there are three questions that I want us to be asking ourselves as we consider Simeon. 
and Anna. I didn't really even get to Anna. She's amazing. You can read about her in 36 through 38. She fasted and prayed every single day in the temple. Praise God for the amazing, devout, faithful women that the Lord uses. He used Anna for sure. Three questions. And I don't have answers to these questions, but I hope that you consider them, especially as we face a new year and kind of the the fresh beginnings that that often means and see if that might inform how you approach this new year. Question number one. What do you look forward to? What do you long for? Now, throughout our lives, that question changes drastically. When we are very young, it's typically things like, I want to have my car, I want to get married, I want to get a great job, I want to go on this vacation, I want to do this thing, right? But as we get older, that changes, doesn't it? For me, I think I'm at a place now where it's like I really look forward to seeing my kids continue to grow and mature and develop into godly men and women who serve and love the Lord, right? And by God's grace, that'll happen. That's up to him, not me, so I just pray for them. But even that, I think, misses the mark. Because even that is just temporary. What did Simeon long for? He longed to see Jesus. He longed to see the Lord's salvation. He didn't get sucked into any of the stuff around him, at least from the text. Now, practically speaking, we know that there were things that the enemy would come against him with. The little temptations of the world, the deceptive lies that are always sprinkled in around us. But by God's grace, we need to be wise to that. We need to see those things, recognize when the things of this world are are drawing us away from the true hope and the true joy and the true gifts that the Lord has for us. Many in this life, praise God, amen? But most and the greatest yet to come as we can look forward to eternity with our salvation, with our King, with our God. That's super difficult to wrap our minds around and grasp in this life. Especially when we are young and have our lives ahead of us and have so much yet to experience. But church, by God's grace, if we can mature and begin to have a perspective that isn't focused horizontally on the rubbish of the world. And look, there's fun things here. There's good things here. I'm not just universally saying the world is garbage, leave it behind. I'm not some aesthetic that wants to go, you know, sit on a pole out in the desert. And there were people who actually did that. 
But what I am saying is even as we enjoy the things of this world, we recognize that as the song says, they will grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious grace, right? That is what maturity brings. And I don't mean maturity chronologically, I mean maturity, maturity spiritually. As we grow in our faith, as we grow in the things of the Lord. That doesn't mean that we shirk our responsibilities here. It means we continue to serve the Lord. What did Simeon refer to himself as in verse 29? Lord, now you are letting what? Your servant depart. See, first and foremost, Simeon saw himself as the Lord's servant, which is why he could live loosely with the things of this world. Because he knew who he lived to serve. He knew what his purpose was. He knew what he was called to, and that was to keep his eyes on Yahweh, waiting for his promise, his salvation. Jesus, Yeshua, God saves God is always faithful. He never lets us down. We know this. How many of you have seen the movie Christmas Story? Yeah, we know, right? Ralphie. My favorite scene is when his little brother is all bundled up, can barely move, and then he sticks his tongue to the pole. Funny stuff, right? Funny stuff. Ralphie, in that movie, had two things that he longed for. The first was his decoder ring, right? Remember that? And he checked the mailbox, and he couldn't wait to get it, and he finally got it. What did it say? Drink more Ovaltine. Talk about the letdown, right? It's marketing. What the heck? Drink more Ovaltine. The world promises really sweet decoder rings that ultimately say drink more Ovaltine all the time, doesn't it? That's, that might as well be the motto of this world, drink more Ovaltine, because that's basically what we get anytime we put our trust and hope in the things of the world, right? But sometimes we put our trust and our hope and our longing for that Red Rider Carbine Action 200 shot range model air rifle with eyebrows raised, right? That's what he really wanted. And everyone he talked to told him, you'll shoot your eye out, kid, right? And of course, Christmas Day comes. Dad pulls the Christmas gift, the secret gift that Mom didn't know about, gives it to Ralphie, he opens it. Yay, it's the red rifle, red whatever, carbine action BB gun. And he goes out and he starts playing his cops and robbers or whatever it was, cowboys and Indians, I can't remember, shooting stuff with his BB gun. And of course, what happens? Ricochets back, hits him right in the glasses, and were it not for his glasses, he would have, in fact, shot his eye out. He got what he was hoping for, and then it tried to kill him. That sound familiar, guys? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of truth in that little story about the things 
that we look forward to in this world. What do we long for? What do we look forward to? Number two, how patiently do we wait? I mean, we all fail at this one, don't we? I certainly do. Anna is a hero to me. I mean, every single day in the temple. Verse 37, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Whew. She waited. And she was satisfied, wasn't she? She didn't have to drink more Ovaltine. She got to gaze on the Lamb of God, the Son of God, her Savior, her Messiah. That is satisfaction. Knowing that she could die, a content woman. That's right, customer assistance got nothing on Anna. She saw the promise of the Lord fulfilled to her. She patiently waited. She patiently sought. She patiently worshipped God until he answered. She didn't try to take things into her own hands. How many of you are control freaks like me who like to do that? Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, yep. Lord, you're not moving fast enough, so I'm just going to do this. But notice Anna didn't do nothing. She didn't just sit at home saying, woe is me, I don't have a husband, I can't do anything. She worshipped. She sought the Lord. She fasted. She prayed. Those are intense activities when done with devotion and gusto. And the Lord murdered her there. She was satisfied. Now, patience, of course, isn't something that we conjure in ourselves. It's a fruit of the Spirit, light, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, especially with other people. And the Lord knows as soon as you pray for patience, the Lord is going to bring along someone who just drives you crazy as your new BFF. That's how it works. Patience. How patiently do we wait? Active waiting. That's the biblical understanding of waiting. It's active waiting. I'm not just waiting like a bump on a log doing nothing. I am actively waiting. I am seeking the Lord. I am following his steps, his path, serving him, but waiting for him to show me the next step, waiting for him to show me the next season. How many of you know that God is a God of seasons, right? And when we are in the season in which he has placed us, we serve mightily with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the Lord in that season. But we don't long or look forward, well, we can long, we don't try to move towards the next season of our own strength, of our own timing. We wait for the Lord to do that. That's how it works. That's what a good servant does. Amen? How patient are we? How faithful do we wait for the Lord's faithfulness to us? And finally, and this is my favorite question to ask people. Any of you who are in 
my growth group or in my men's group. You hear me talk about this all the time. Jason gets tired of it. How do you view your physical death? Does the thought of that frighten you? Do you do you get nervous? I would imagine for the more seasoned among us who are perhaps mature in their faith, that prospect doesn't hold a lot of fear for you. Praise God for that. But for many of us, and especially the young ones, Death conjures all kinds of feelings of fear and dread. That wasn't the case for Simeon. By God's grace, he worshipped God when his promise was fulfilled. Do you get that? He blessed God. Why was he blessing God? Not just because he saw baby Jesus. He was blessing God knowing full well what that meant for him. It was finally time for him to go home. He could go and be with Yahweh. How many of you know what the number one fear is? It's public speaking. It has nothing to do with death. But numbers two through five all have to deal with death. Fear of heights, fear of deep water, fear of flying, etc., etc. Why? Because people don't want to die. And why do people not want to die? Because either one of two things, they don't want to let go of the things they have here, or they're afraid of what that might mean because they don't know. Praise God, church. The Lord has given us answers to both of those, hasn't he? We know what we have to look forward to, and we do not need to hold on to the rubbish here in this world. But that is something that the Lord needs to work in us, needs to mature in us. How many of you remember Rocco Consiglio? A bunch of folks remember Rocco. He attended on Saturday night here. He died several years ago. Rocco and I went to seminary together. We would drive and carpool together, and one of our favorite conversations was death. Sounds macabre, right? Well, Rocco was on dialysis. He struggled with a lot of different health issues, and we were very honest about the reality that he faced of a short-lived life. And Rocco's tune at the beginning of our journey and at the end of our journey were very different because over time, the Lord delivered him and gave him victory over the fear of death to the point where in the end, he was at peace completely. Now, no one likes to go through the process of dying, and Rocco didn't much like his dialysis and all the other stuff with that. I'm not saying that we need to joyfully face the prospect of some difficult 
death process, the Lord will deliver us from that too. He'll give us the strength to get through that. Amen? But more importantly than the process is the end result. And by God's grace, church, we don't need to fear that. What the world says you do, the world says you better be quaking in your boots. Church, you better wear your mask or you might die. Right? This whole pandemic is one big scheme to get you to live in fear. Right? Now, I'm not taking away from the wise precautions that one might take. But what I am going to absolutely lambast is the spirit of fear that the enemy seeks to place on this world. And church, we are fearless in the face of death. We walk wisely with hope, with truth, with love, with grace, with mercy, with humility. Not pridefully facing down fear, but humbly trusting in our God. And it's that attitude that allows us to walk through the things of this world and to boldly proclaim life, everlasting life, not just life here, not your best life now, garbage. I'm talking about true life of servanthood, of worship of our God from now into all eternity. That is what Simeon did. That is what, by God's grace, we can do too. And so, if in considering these questions, the Lord is pricking anything within your heart, because remember, he's a revealer of hearts, my encouragement to you is to ask the Lord to work on it. Don't be discouraged. It's okay. Praise God that he's showing you that. Genuinely, worship him for showing you that, and then ask him to help you to grow, to mature, to walk through it. That we don't look to the world and long for the things in this world. That we grow in our patience. And most importantly, that we walk in boldness, trusting in our God, not fearing death. Because church, I will tell you right now that a body of believers who serves the Lord and does not fear death is the most dangerous thing to the enemy in existence. Because the Lord will do mighty things through a people who do not fear death. And that is what this entire season of preaching is about, church. That we want to proclaim truth to the ends of the earth. But fear is the primary thing that will prevent that. And one of the primary fears that the enemy uses is the fear of death. So by God's grace, we don't get trapped in that. And we walk in the promises of our God, just like Simeon and Anna did. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the hope that he brings, the life that he gives, the victory that he had in his death. Lord, the faithful promise you kept by sending him. Lord, we praise you that you are faithful. And we can put all of our trust and hope and confidence in you. We praise you that you are gracious and merciful, that you are righteous and just, 
that you are holy and true. Lord, we, we worship you as our God and King, our Master, our, our Savior, the one who is in control. And Father, in Jesus' name, we reject the lies of this world. We reject the enticements that call to us, Lord. And we pray that we would keep all of them in their proper place. Lord, enjoying the good gifts that you give us. Enjoying the, the fun things in this life, Lord, but not being sucked into them, Lord. Not being defined by them. Not holding on so tightly that you can't take them away in a moment and we continue on serving you first and foremost. Lord, help us to mature. Help us to grow. Help us to be like Simeon, your servant. Help us to be like Anna, seeking you in prayer and fasting. Help us to wait, Lord, and devote ourselves to you, full of your spirit, not fearing death, facing in your strength, in your power, with your word, anything that the enemy brings against us in community, not by ourselves. We thank you and praise you, Lord, that this is not a journey that we go alone. This is not a pilgrimage of loneliness, but a pilgrimage of community, of faith, as we spur one another on until we see you, until you return. Lord, let us all be encouraged and strengthened by this to the glory of your name and the furtherance of your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.